0: You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm, Trowers and Hamlins. Combining market sector thought leadership, advice and ideas, helping businesses and governments prepare for the future.
1: Hello, my name is Scott Dawling and I'm a partner in Trowers and Hamlins public sector team. I'm delighted to be joined today by my fellow partner, Helen Randall, who is an esteemed local government lawyer and Ed Hammond, the Director of Campaigns and Research at the Centre for Public Scrutiny. Over the past 12 months, Trowers has been carrying out research on the resilience and continued relevance of local government in these very challenging times. That research has involved Helen, myself and other colleagues, interviewing key senior individuals working in and with local government. And We're really pleased that Ed has agreed to answer some of the questions that we have been exploring with senior colleagues to get his particular insight and thoughts about the future of local government. Ed, mm-hmm. what would you currently see as the three biggest challenges facing local authorities?
2: I think we can't go any further without talking about the significant financial challenges um, facing the sector, uh, or generally. Affect some councils more than others, but overall, there's still significant uncertainty about the financial future. I think it would be certainly easier if we knew for certain uh, that we were going to have a, a significant financial constraints over the course of the next few years. Um, I think what, what adds to that is the sheer uncertainty about the nature of, of those constraints. So that's, that's certainly the first. Um, the second, I think, a demographic change. Um, uh, I think we still don't really know uh, what that's going to look like in, in some areas. Uh, some councils more affected by a highly transient population than others, some which have undergone quite significant uh, demographic shifts over the course of the last 5, 10, 15 years. And I think the third is, um, if I can sort of focus on a particular policy area, I think is uh, sort of challenges around um, climate change. I think for councils trying to understand what their contribution is going to be towards uh, leading and convening local solutions to this kind of global challenge, this global problem, it will affect everything that councils do around housing, uh, things like social care, environmental services. Um, and will have profound impacts on the way that we design for our local communities for uh, you know, generations to come. And the next five to ten years is going to be the time when we're going to make decisions which will have impact on these issues for many decades to come. So those are probably the, the top three. I haven't even mentioned Brexit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really interesting that you say that, because that's very much borne out in the research that we undertook. And... What is also interesting is there's obviously there's quite a bit of linkage isn't there between between the three in a way which is mm-hmm. you know demographic change um, it's very difficult to respond to when there isn't sufficient funding to do so um, if you look at climate change that inevitably is going to make quite a few calls on on financial resources and I think there was also interesting things You mentioned demographic change. I think there were also really interesting things that came up um, in terms of generational diversity. Mm -hmm. And a number of the authorities we talked to were saying there is a a real need to reconnect, particularly with younger generations, to make them really interested. And I think we are seeing a resurgence, aren't we, of interest in, in politics, but to get them engaged with local government and also from the workforce point of view, which is, to inspire local, uh, local authorities and say, you know, this is a really inspiring place to work if you're, if you're, if you're uh, from a younger generation. Mm. So, so those
1: came up as well. And that leads very nicely to another question that we posed to uh, our uh, senior colleagues uh, when we were going out and interviewing them. What can local authorities do to further engage with their communities and stakeholders in the future?
2: Gosh, I mean, that's, that's a, that is a that is a tricky one because I think that the needs and expectations and aspirations of young people will, will differ from area to area. They're not an amorphous mass. Sure. Um, yeah. they're, they're, the, the context within which they live and work will be different depending on whether you're talking urban, rural councils, different parts of the country. Um, so I, I, I kind of struggle uh, to think of kind of straightforward kind of policy objectives. I suppose so much of it as ever is about councils being better at listening, yeah. being prepared to go to where conversations are happening and being prepared to, to listen and, and, and trying to bring those perspectives in through the way that they recruit, through the way that local political parties uh, nominate people for candidacy for election. The more that we can get young, younger people in leadership positions in political parties, leadership positions in the, in the sector on the officer side, the better we will be, a, we will be to, in, in being able to proactively think about the needs of that uh, cohort of people as they, as they come through.
0: Yes, and um, you know, it goes back to climate change, which is mm. a, a burning issue, and particularly for younger generations who sort of are highlighting it more than ever. Mm. Um, and maybe, maybe that gives us a bit of a lever to say, you know, get involved in local government, get involved in local democracy. Um, particularly Mm. if this is something local authorities are now
1: very much engaging with a number of them very many of them declaring climate change emergency. Well on on that point do you think there's any particular government policy change that you'd like to see?
2: I I think we, 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 we tend to focus in the sector on you know what, what does government need to do in order to uh, sort of make lives better for, for local governments, and it's it's kind of easy to kind of pass the onus on to to uh, to, to national government. Uh, I think that sort of reflects, I suppose, the ludicrous centralization that we have to sort of that we have to work under. Um, sure. So I think part of that, the answer to that is saying, well, re- remove some of those restrictions, provide more uh, freedom and flexibility for local authorities to be able to set their own priorities, to be able to uh, work to th- what local people think is most important, rather than um, uh, you know, focusing on the, I suppose, disparate objectives of a range of different lo- government departments which combine in unexpected ways in, in local areas. Um, so it, it's about government just being more coherent in terms of what what are you asking of the sector? W- what's, what's your approach going to be to de- partnering with the sector rather than just telling us to do things or not to do things? Um, it's the mentality the government brings to its engagement in the sector that I think is the big thing that needs to change.
0: And I think that is... Hugely borne out in the in the discussions we've been been having, so that's the, very interesting that you make those points. There has been quite a lot of discussion of, we've had about funding and about devolving finance much more than it already is done. Um, having a look at, for example, um, local taxation um, and that sort of thing. What we've also heard a lot from chief executives, haven't we, Scott? Which is quite often. Different parts of government don't seem to be talking to Mm -hmm. each other very well. And, you know, on one day you will get maybe a memo saying what flags you should be flying outside (laughs) the the town hall, you know, uh, where really there are very much more pressing demands uh, that need to be dealt with. Um, And I think also a feeling that, that sort of local government, central government can kind of participate a bit more with local government in terms of you
1: know convening interests a bit better than it is at the moment. Well, that leads to another interesting discussion about the how local do you think local government should be and have we got the right uh, engagement strategies, are local authorities the, the, the best way of engaging communities in decision making and in consultation on, on various uh, important issues? So do you think the the structure of local government—it is—is in the right place, or do you think it should change? I,
2: I think I think broadly speaking, um, it is. I, I, I'm not a sort of fan of uh, sort of tinkering with the with the structures. Um, I appreciate that you know you can see well there, there are ways of I suppose delivering efficiencies by 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 doing things in a different structural way, but often we can use that as a kind of proxy and a diversion for actually doing actual things. Um, I think what the sector needs, like a hole in the head at the moment, is some kind of general unitarization kind of program of the sort yeah. that sort of worryingly feels like it's being being mooted and proposed by, by government at the moment. There were some slightly troubling kind of statements in the press a couple of weeks back from the Secretary of State and, and others about the prospects of reviewing the structure of local government overall. Mm-hmm. I think one, one area where we could, where I'd really, really like to see improvements is around the most local level. Of, uh, of, of government and decision making. I'm a committed localist, but I'm a keen enthusiast for subsidiarity as well. I think we need to be pushing, uh, as we draw powers down from government in a way that I hope we will see doing through the development and maturing of the devolution process, but also through other mechanisms. I want to see us in local government pushing that power down within our communities as well. Um, we need more urban parishes. I think we uh, need more uh, community decision making within councils, not just on things like neighbourhood planning, but on wider issues as well. Um, I think we need to bring that democracy to bear on the way that aspect of the NHS works as well. I think that could be something which could work I- effectively too. So I think structural reform has to be driven by the need to, you know, drag power down to those mo- most local, almost to, to street level.
0: Yeah, and I think it. Is interesting because pe- various people said different things. On the one hand, people said, just leave everything as it well, is. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, <clears throat> Others were saying we could do with fewer London boroughs or fewer districts <clears throat> or more unitarisation. But I think it's certainly true. We've been seeing with our local authority clients there's been a massive amount of turbulence and, <clears throat> and disruption. Into, and <clears throat> really... Uh, it it can become extremely political, of course. It, so
2: it, it really it, and it really, I mean, disruptive is the word because uh, there have been a few councils in have gone had to go through that process in the course of the last couple of years, trying to manage that alongside dealing with your financial and other challenges as well. Just adds an, exactly. an additional burden, and you see how it's being used as a possible solution to the challenges that places like Northamptonshire faces, for example. Yeah. And I think that's you know. You can understand the logic of that, the logic of saying you know, reorganisation is, is a kind of way out of some of the sector's challenges. But again, it comes back to the issue that I mentioned of saying it's not a panacea. It, it's not going to deliver you the solutions that it might do. It could be part of a wider spectrum of solutions for some of the sector's challenges around resilience, around sustainability, maybe. But my worry is at the moment that reorganisation at the moment is just seen on its own as delivering those solutions almost by magic. And I, I, I worry about the assumptions that underpin that, that, that point of view.
1: I'm going to ask one final question. When mm. we were um, conducting our research piece, which we have just published called Making a Difference, Proving Its Worth, we had a working title of What is Local Government For? So I'm going to ask you, Ed, what do you think local government is
2: for? Um, I think um, we're moving, we are sort of between, at the moment, models of local government's purpose, I think up till quite recently, local government was very much a kind of service provider. Local government was uh, involved in a kind of transactional relationship with local people. You pay your council tax, you get your bins collected. Um, That's the mentality that a lot of councils brought to the way that they engaged local communities. Um, I think we're moving now to to a landscape which looks more like local government as, um, as convener, um, yes. At, focusing on the community uh sort of influence, I suppose, that local government has. It's it's kind of a development of that. Um, idea of sort of place shaping from ten or fifteen years ago, yeah. but given a, a sli- slightly more sort of nuance, I think sort of place shaping was really about sort of local government as kind of you know leading and directing, and sort of it felt a bit sort of a bit new public management-y. Yeah. I think I think the sort of the, the kind of community aspect of this, and the New Local Government Network has, has done some excellent research on this. Their their idea of the creation of a new community paradigm. In the way that um, the sector works, moving to this a new paradigm of operation, where local government is kind of bringing together sort of a variety of different voices that is is kind of um, helping people to uh, understand what their hopes and objectives are, and is designing services that fit around people's needs and objectives for themselves, rather than trying to distribute uh, sort of off the shelf solutions which might be nationally specified or which might have been designed by professionals working in a town hall somewhere. Uh, we're moving to something which looks a bit more um, deliberative, that looks a bit more distributed in terms of how people think and act. And that, that's potentially exciting. Um, the, the risk is that the financial and other challenges that the sector faces mean that we're never quite able to meet that challenge and to deliver that ambition of, of, of that sort of way of working.
1: And Ed, do you think local government has got the necessary skills to rise to that particular challenge?
2: Um, yes, I think it has. Um, But the critical thing is whether those skills are deployed in the right place at the moment. So I think the people are there in the sector who've got that initiative and who've got that dynamism. And, you know, I meet many of them over the course of my work. Are they in the leadership positions they need to be in order to do that? Um, Sometimes, not always. So I think organisations need to think about, on a workforce perspective, and an organisational development perspective, what do we need to do to develop and promote and put those people in in position in 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 leadership positions
0: i think the issue is that although initially it might all seem very bleak in local government um actually what we should focus on is that people have been doing a fantastic job in very very difficult circumstances Mm -hmm. Um, there have been a few failures but they have been really isolated failures there is i think um Learning that can be applied um, from the failures, and, and that's something uh, we're looking at. Indeed, with mm-hmm. with you, Ed, um, there is every reason for for optimism in terms of looking forward, and um, there's a sort of new future, really, in terms of the priorities of local government and sort of almost re-democratising it, where where perhaps um, there's been a disconnect. So. Um, I would
1: say the future is not all bleak. That's a nice way to end, Helen. Thank you very much. Well, I'd like to thank Helen and Ed both for your time this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you very much. You have
0: been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at Trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.